you notice on the screen, we were showing birthdays here, and, and Kathy Kovacs wanted me to make sure you all knew this. Today is her birthday, so uh, anyway. Or maybe she told me, don't do that. I can't remember which one of those that was, but uh, anyway. We're, <laughs> um, if I do happen to notice it's on uh, Sunday that it's your birthday, I, I will announce it. So anyway, whether you're here or not. So uh, anyway, we're excited about being here today, and as I was just thinking about uh, all the things I want to share, there is a a lot that we could talk about when we think about why do we believe, and and are there really reasons to have hope? And and for some, uh, they they attack that even the thought that anyone would consider that there truly is a God, and and He's uh, revealed Himself, and He's here to help us. In fact, uh, a man named Christopher Hitchens, uh, who went all the way around the world uh, debating theist. Uh, he was an atheist. An atheist simply means a person who believes there is no God. A theist believes there is a God. And, and really, he made a statement in which he says that, that God and religion poisons everything. So he, he would not only proclaim that we shouldn't believe in God, but if you do believe in God, what you're really doing, you're not only hurting yourself, but everybody else around you. And part of the reason he would say that is because as you think about things that even happened yesterday with uh, at Virginia Beach, um, where 12 uh, people were shot and killed and four other people were injured. And really, I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to discover what, who they're blaming or who the person is, what his motivation was. But if Christopher Hitchkins was here, he'd say, somewhere, somehow, you're going to be able to draw a line. The reason that person did that is because he was religious and he believed in God. And if for some reason he wasn't at that moment religious or believing in God, he would say that somewhere in his nurture and nature of growing up, he did believe it, and that's what promoted him and encouraged him and suggested that he ought to take somebody else's lives because they, they didn't deserve to live. Now, people can choose to have that worldview, and Christopher Hitchens had that worldview. He's since passed. But, you know, it's interesting to me in some of the reactions, I don't know if you had an opportunity to read some of the things about those who had families that their loved ones had passed away. But just reading a couple of them, in fact, they were the first two. Uh, one was a Kimberly uh, Casper, and, and they were saying, we, we, we are choosing to remember her laughter and her joy, and we're resting in all the promises of God. Uh, Ryan Keith Cox, who, who worked at that pu- public utilities for 12 and a half years, he was the son of Ray Cox Sr., who was the pastor of, interesting enough, related to our theme, New Hope Baptist Church in Virginia Beach. And his brother said this, My heart is hurting because my baby brother was murdered today by a shooter in Virginia Beach, mass shooting. I won't hear his beautiful singing voice at church or home anymore. I love my brother and will truly miss his caring soul until we meet again in heaven. So as you think about hope, hope is not just something that, you know, it's a, it's a nice thing to talk about in a religious place like this, but this is, this is where we live. Um, and there are various times in our life where it's more urgent than other times, but we realize that this, this life is not going to last forever and what is our expectation of our future? And we're not encouraging and imploring people to believe because this is, this is a pretty good deal. You know, uh, believe in this, whether it's true or not, and you can at least have good thoughts about your future. This really is, is something, if it is true, changes everything. 
And so as, as Peter wrote in that uh, first letter of his, uh, recorded for us in the New Testament, in that particular verse that you all really loved working on, memorizing this past month, he says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And so you really, what we don't want to do is ridicule or speak harsh words at people who are choosing not to believe, but, but what we want to do is we want to give a reason why we do believe. And there are many ways to approach that, and, and for some of you, I, I've been curious in terms of this series, and as I've already shared with you, some, some have really been encouraged and challenged by this series, and some are saying, Lord, when is this finally going to get over, and next week, Lord willing, it's going to be over. Um, but how many had ever heard of the word apologetics before we started this series? Okay, a few of you did. And how many had never heard of the word apologetics? No one's willing to admit that because not every hand went up in front. Well, I had, uh, I had staff members say they hadn't heard that word before. You know? It is, you know, it's interesting. When I was in college at Cal State Fullerton, uh, involved in a ministry that was pretty aggressive in sharing our faith, I was, I was, I was majoring in business at the time, and and uh, we called on an individual, his name was Dwayne Gish, uh, Dr. Dwayne Gish. He had his PhD from Cal Berkeley. And he came on, pat, on, on, um, on the campus, and for, we were able, with the science department, to, be, to you know, co-sponsor him. And we had these huge um, meetings in, in the gym where people just came out and he would lecture to them. And basically he, what he was trying to deal with is, is that you can't explain the material world only through materialism. Or to put it another way, you can't explain this world with an atheistic uh, philosophy of evolution. And, and, and really his, his whole point was, was causing young minds to consider that there is a creator, there is a supreme being that brought everything that we see into existence. And he was hammering at an unmechanized, unintelligent view of the things that have de- developed through eons of time. Well, one of the things that they, uh, for us students who were involved in that ministry, that they said, well, what we want you to do, we want you to go now, we want you to go into into the science department and interview every single one of the science professors and, and, and just ask them what they thought of the presentation of Dwayne Gish and um, their responses to it and their lack of responses to it when they had the question and answer period of time. And, and so when we, we went to all those campuses, I had an opportunity to, to, to go into the, uh, the head of the department of uh, the science department at Cal State Fullerton, who actually taught many classes on evolution. And, and when we asked him, and when I asked him, I said, well, you know, what did you think about him? Well, he was a good communicator, a good speaker. He obviously was, was well-versed in what he had studied. And said, so, well, when he brought up those, those issues that seem to contradict everything we get when we go to your classes, how come you didn't say anything? And this was his best response. Well, he was such a good communicator. I, you know, I, I, I didn't know if I could, I could speak as well as he did to, to respond to anything he had to say. Basically, what he was saying is, I didn't have the facts to contradict anything he had to say. And, and that happens all the time when people will sometimes share things that maybe that's not your area of discipline. And all I was doing was taking notes of what he had to say and then saying, well, he said this in here. What, what, why do you, how would you contradict that? And, and the main thing they were going over and over and over again is that if you look at the fossil record, you don't see intermediate forms. You don't see like... Um, 
half a fish and half a mammal. You know, where is that? And Darwin had said in his earliest writings that, because that, it was a new discipline, that you would see thousands of them once they began digging up more fossils. And there isn't one undeniable fossil record that will show an intermediate form. There are some that they will present, but they, there's a lot of debate whether you could, you could, you know, without a doubt say that is an intermediary form. And, and so as we think about our faith, and sometimes we take, we get intimidated with people who have all kinds of credentials listed after their name or, or where they have gone to school. What we want to share with you is, is that this is truth. God has revealed himself. And we don't have to cower in front of anyone who wants to ridicule our faith. And we can respond with certain reasons that will give evidence to why we believe. Now, they don't have to buy everything that we have to say. It's like we don't have to buy everything they have to say. But we can give an evidence for the hope that is within us. And that hope is so important. And some of you have just gone through that recently where... What is, what is this life all about? Who am I? Where am I going? And does God have a plan, if there is a God, for my future? If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. I, I probably won't get to a lot of stuff today, but, uh, you know, this is the whole, the whole calling for us to have hope is right rooted in the gospel. In Romans chapter 5, right after Paul has, in chapters basically 1 through 4, particularly uh, one through three, hit so strongly. The reason that we need to have a relationship with God is because uh, we, are, we are drowning in our own sin, that, that we can't stand before a holy God righteous in our own, through our own merits, and, and we desperately need for him to rescue us from our drowning. And then in chapter four and five, uh, he particularly begins to give the solution. In, in Romans chapter five, he says this, therefore after going over and over and over again, is that our conscience uh, is, is penetrating our own soul with our inadequacy before a holy God. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And I, and I want us just to be... So clear about this, that you know, our, our, our purpose as people is to honor God, which basically means to give glory to God. And, and, and we're, we're placing our hope that there is a God and that he is glorious. He's manifested himself now, and so much more will we see it when we see him face to face. You know, what, it, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is defined by theologians in so many different ways, but you could put it as simply this. The glory of God is the, the manifest display of his goodness and his beauty. And, and we, we are to live in such a way that we manifest, we display who God is and how good he is and how great he is. In fact, Christopher Hitchens, who was the one who just opposes vehemently all those who put their faith in any God, the title of one of his book is Our, uh, Your God is Not Great. God is not great. And, and, and he, he's missed everything. And he's experiencing that right now. As he rejected everything God had to say to him. And, and so we are brought into a relationship with the, the supreme being in this universe 
who has revealed himself that he loves us and cares for us and has a plan for our life. And we are looking forward to that expectation will be in the manifest display of his goodness and greatness. And no matter what we go through now, there's a purpose for it. He goes on and says, And not only this, but also we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character, and then he lands on this, hope. What we're going to talk about very briefly today is one of, the, one of the objections to believing in God is, well, how can you believe in God with all the evil that is in this world? And not only evil, but suffering. How can God be all-powerful and all-good and allow suffering and evil to happen on this planet? Well, we're going to talk about where evil came from. And we're going to look at God's solution for that. But often I would just come back to, well, how do you explain it? If there is no God, how do you explain suffering and evil? Did evolution somehow make a mistake? Uh, we haven't evolved enough yet, and, and our hope is we're going to evolve to that place where we will eradicate all evil and suffering because the mechanism that has started all that's happened on this planet will just run its course, and there will be no such thing as evil and suffering. How do you explain it? The Bible says this about our hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. These Two families that are grieving over the loss of their loved ones. Do you think they're excited about having hope right now? That they have an expectation that God is good? And he's prepared a place for those who know him and love him and have chosen to follow him. So what, what, what can we say about the whole struggle that some people have to believe in God? And we've tried to put it this way to make it somewhat re, re, memorable. There really are reasons for hope. And one way you can do this is by, by taking it in a question form. Are, are there crimes that we commit intellectually when we refuse to put our hope in God? Are, are there things we, we violate our own ability to understand and observe truth? if we choose to look at the evidence and say there is no God. Well, Frank Turek, Dr. Frank Turek, puts it this way, and we've tried to frame it a little bit different than he has put it, but, but there are things we can consider as far as viable reasons to believe there is a God. And, and much of what is attacked out there is not only about that Jesus being God, that initial, uh, eventually gets down to that, but there is even a, 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 an objection that, that there actually could be a God. Well, what, what can we say about that? Well, we've already gone over four. We've considered creation. We've considered reason. We've considered um, information. We've considered morality. And these are things that, that I think we all ought to, ought to be able to put in our tool chest or uh, in, our, in our holster in terms of being able to say, well, why do you believe there's a God? Well, one, just consider creation. If you want to use a different word, which we began that way, just consider causality. How did everything come into being? How would you explain it? Is it better for you to consider that everything you see was brought into existence by absolutely nothing? There was no design. There was no plan. It just happened. 
And the reality is, it's much easier for me to believe that there was someone that created something, in fact, not only something, but everything, that nothing created everything. Because if you want to put it into syllogism, you can put it this way. Everything that has a beginning has a cause or a creator. Nothing that, that we experience in this life would contradict that. Everything that had a beginning had someone bringing that into existence, created it, caused it to happen. Everyone now knows that the universe had a beginning. The physical world has not always been. Therefore, the universe had a cause, a creator. And that creator cause had to be greater than that which it created. And God is the uncaused cause. God is the one that is eternal. Before they thought material or the physical world was material. And if that were true, well, that would be a a viable solution. Well, if it has not been eternal, hasn't always been, then something had to be eternal to bring that which is temporal into existence, and that would be God. So consider creation. Some um, who, who object to the whole issue of God, they, they, don't, they say, well, you're always just playing that origin card, that origin card. Well, that's a pretty good card to play. How you explain life apart from how did it begin? But also consider reason. How do we even have the ability to, to, to talk about what we're talking about right now? How is it we can argue or debate or use logic, uh, things uh, just to, to somehow put opposing views by way of comparison and pick which one is the better option? Or to put it another way, not only do you, you have the problem of somehow determining how did the physical world come into existence, how, how about that which is not physical, the immaterial world? The ability to reason, you can't touch that. To, to define someone's ability to love or, or to relate or to hate. Or even the idea of self-awareness, which is a, which is a, a strong reason to consider there's something immaterial inside of us. We're not just mechanical. We're, we're not like on the computer screen, I'm not a robot, and you check that box. How do you explain that? Apart from a personal being with intelligence bringing you into existence. And so you have the, the, the issue of creation or causality, you have the issue of reason, the ability to, to be self-aware and to relate with others. Uh, consider information. And we showed that video that many of you really liked. It was amazing. That was one of the more popular videos about the cell. And there's three billion bits of information within the cell. Well, how do you explain the complexity and diversity of all of life just by this developing and being pro- propelled throughout time? It, it, it makes absolutely no sense. And you, you can do the mathematics on that because not only do you have the bits of information within the cell itself, one cell, but you have to have mechanisms that bring all that information into some kind of functional form. And, and you can look at that in so many different ways, whether it be how, do, how are books put together? You know, they, you know, letters form words, and words form sentences, and sentences form paragraphs, and paragraphs form chapters, and chapters form books. And not only books, but you have multiple of books. How do you explain that? How do you take all, all those bits of information forming into that which can function and be used? On a human level, every, every book you read has a, begins with the letter A, and what? An author, right? No, no one thinks that just happened. Well, how do you explain everything that happens in life? 
Stephen Meyer's written a little book called, not a little book, but it's called a book called Signature of the Cell. How do you explain how the cell functions apart from an intelligent being putting it all together? And then consider morality. I try to put this in a, in a simpler way. This is a syllogism that, that's a little bit different than the one I gave you last, last time. But as you think about it, every law has a lawgiver. And in many ways, we're getting back to an origin issue here. But any law that we have on the books, someone put it on the books, right? Someone had to formulate that. There is an objective moral law. Now, here's where people have to back off. So, well, why do I have to believe that? Why do I have to believe that uh, the things we consider right or wrong, evil or good, or uh, things that are legal or early, why, why, why do I have to believe there's something objective about that? Maybe they're just uh, utilitarian. They're, they, they, they give us service, they help us, but they, but they aren't necessarily objectively moral. And so then you have to ask the question, well, then can we change any of them and we just don't think right now they're good for us? So we want to do a little bit different? And isn't that what's happened in some of the wars that have been fought, whether you, or the genocides that have happened in various places? They thought it was better at that particular moment that murder was okay. Maybe the person who, who took those lies in Virginia Beach, maybe they had a good reason. What, what, what was objective about that? That, they, that person at that moment thought it was better for him to kill those people than not to kill them. Something happened, right? And so people, you don't want to live, in fact, I think I mentioned you last time, Richard Dawkins, who, who wrote The God Delusion, and I share with you as we began this series, he would say that all of us who believe in God are, here are deluded. And he wants you to read that book because he gets money from that book you read. But, I mean, he wants you to read that book because he said, all those who believe in God now, after they read this book, my goal is that you don't believe in God after you read my book. But when it comes to morality, he has to say this. He says, you know, uh, even though I'm a committed Darwinian, that you explain life through the, the evolutionary mechanism, he says, as it relates to morality, I am an anti-Darwinian. Uh, I, I don't want to live in a world where we don't think somehow there's objective right and wrong. So m- most people, they have to somehow explain that. And so, the, so far, the two premises, I think, stand. For every law, there's a lawgiver. There's an objective moral law. Therefore, there's an objective moral lawgiver. And we would say the only way to really explain that would be God. Because who else has the right authority to to say what is right and wrong? Well, today we're going to look at real briefly, well, how about evil? I've already spoken to that a little bit, but I want to throw out a few things. And some people would approach this differently, but... Consider evil for a moment, because part of the premise here is, is consider um, that God is all-powerful, and we would not argue with that. Uh, consider that God is all-good, we would not argue with that. But we would ask the question, well, then, well, if, if, and we've said before that God created everything. Did God create evil? Well, there's a couple ways you can look at this, but if you're going to look at it from maybe another person's perspective who doesn't believe that God cre- uh, is, even exists, you could push this a little bit. For instance, God created all things. We agree with that. Evil is not a thing. Therefore, God did not create evil. Now, how would we back that up a little bit or reason with that a little bit? Uh, evil is real, but it's not a thing. 
It only exists as a lack or deficiency in a good thing. This is the first time I passed my sheet before you guys did, all right? We, we describe evil as a negation of something good. Um, just is good, but unjust is not good, right? Moral, something moral is good, but immoral is not. Unfair, we like things to be fair, but unfair is not. Dishonest, honesty is good, but dishonesty is not. Obedience, it's great, but not disobedience. There can be good without evil, but there can't be evil without good. There can be sunshine without shadows, but not shadows without sunshine. So as we think about that which is evil, and it's somewhat back to the morality issue, how how do we have the right to say anything is evil unless there's some objectively moral good? But when we try to impugn on God as far as, well, well, evil has come to the world. Well, if we look at drawing the line back, well, who, really, who really is at fault? And, and let's be honest. Everything within us, those who have even crossed over the line of faith, we struggle with that. I don't know about you, but when, when, uh, when something goes wrong, I, I like to look around and, and blame somebody. Anybody do that? You know, I hate it when I look around. The only one I see there is who? Who's me? I was telling kind of a humbling story. With I, I, uh, I was taking Alice's car in to get the air conditioning fixed. We we had been in the we had been in the desert, and it our air conditioning went out. And so I thought it was probably a good deal on a, to get hers fixed. So I, I took it in there, and I'm never in a rush, but I was somewhat in a rush. I was walking back. I walked the car there, and then I walked back, and I got to red light. Uh, and it turned green, but I wasn't quite there to the green light, so I wasn't able to push the what? The button. And we don't get to push the button, that little walk sign or that green arrow, whatever that hand is that says, come on, come on down, doesn't, doesn't say that. So, so here I'm at this thing, I'm thinking, you know, it's, the car's got a green light, and even though I got a red light, I, you know, I should be able to go because they, they got a green light. So I'm, 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 I'm debating this within my mind, you know. I don't know if I actually prayed about it, but I did debate about it, you know. So, so finally, after you know, a couple of minutes, I said, I'm going. So I took off, but I, I took off a little bit later. And so, you know how they do those green lights is that one lane stops, the other lane goes, and then the people supposed to turn left start coming at you. And here I'm in the middle of the street with the cars coming, not making that left-hand turn. They weren't really pleased with me when they had a stop in the middle on that. You know, so I'm looking around, and who can I blame for my action? Well, it, I could have, it had to be God. God allowed me to do it, right? Can I blame God? He shouldn't have put that thought in my mind to go across that intersection when I shouldn't have gone across, right? Do you agree with me? Come on now. <laughs> you know, give me a break here. All right? It, it, you know, it's so easy. I mean, you're, you're, you look at, well, who is at fault for my Ill, illegal action? And trust me, I was looking around to see if a police officer was around, you know. <laughs> I didn't get a ticket. God's grace. All right, God's mercy. Okay. Is, um, you know, we, we want to look around. So who to blame, right? And as we think about how evil came into this world, the, the, the Bible, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't bury the reason why it came into existence. Now, you can ask God, why did he give us the option to disobey him? To choose to go our own selfish ways rather than his ways. But 
in the very first sin here on this earth, and even you back it up to Lucifer, Satan, did God make that person choose to go down the wrong path? Now, I, I really believe now within our world now, we, uh, we have a... We have a, a, we have a sin problem. It's, it's an internal problem. We have a sin nature. That, that's the direction we, we go. But you look at Adam and Eve, you look at Lucifer, they, had, they were in a perfect environment. They had never chosen to disobey God, and they chose to go their way rather than God's way. And so as we think about why there's evil in the world, all, all, we, all we can do is look in the mirror, Right? And sometimes people will say, well, however evil came in this world and however suffering came in this world, why doesn't God just get rid of it now? And the only question I would throw back to anyone who would ask that, well, where, where do you want him to begin? You want him to begin with you? Because the message of the scriptures is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if God's going to obliterate evil, and there's going to be a time where he's going to do that, he could righteously begin with each one of us here. And that's why Jesus came. To bridge that gap between us who are evil and he who is not. The one who is filled with sin and the one who is sinless. The one who is unrighteous and the one who is righteous. So where do we begin and believe that evil came from? It it came from our rebellion and rejection of God's plan for our life. If you want to impugn God... From the standpoint, he gave us the capacity in the beginning to choose to go our way rather than his way. I think you can allow that. But as far as us being experiencing that which he created, he never created that. Because he created only that which was good. And when he created us, it was described as very good. And we were the ones who ran from him. So as you think about, are there reasons to have hope? And hope, again, in Scripture, is not wishful thinking or even high expectations. It's an assurance that what God has said is going to happen will happen. And our hope does not disappoint because his love has been poured out in our hearts. And we have a settled assurance that when we leave this place, we'll be in his presence. And then why we are still here, that God never leaves us or forsakes us, that his promises are always true. And in the midst of, even as we read in Romans chapter 5, no matter what we're going through, that everything we go through has a refining part in our life. And trials and suffering are some of our greatest lessons to be learned and trusting him no matter what we're going through. But I, I, and what I want to do next week is I, I want to talk now more specifically. 
we've been trying to establish there is a God. And next week, I'm going to give you the, the reasons. That I'm just convinced that Jesus is God. And so I've, I've put two together, and in some ways, probably grammatically, it isn't stated right. It is evil and science reasons for hope. I guess you could say are evil and science reasons for hope. But, but what about science? Because often that, that, is, that is really the premise that people are throwing at us, is that, well, you have religion, uh, you have faith, believing what you, you can't see, but we have science, and, and science is, is, the, is a place where you can know that these are facts and, and know what is really true. Uh, there are a lot of amazing people out there that are, that are speaking um, into the, the, the minds of those who reject what the Bible says, suppressing the truth about himself. Uh, John Lennox is, a, is, a, is an, he's an Irish professor uh, in Oxford. He's now an emeritus one, but his, his major was math. And in fact, he was trying to decide whether he wanted to major in math or, or language. He, he, he's multilingual and has traveled all around the world. And he, was, he has just written a book recently, and it was, is, uh, can science answer everything? Of course, he, he being a scientist, you know, that would be his bent, but he said, no, science can't answer everything. And, and what he tries to do is react to those who want to push that on everybody. And here, here's a, just a few things he, he has said, and, and I just want to make a few comments or read some of the comments he has made. Uh, science, uh, and we're talking about true science here, and God, and we're not talking about the multitude of gods that people have created on their own, but the true God, uh, they are always in harmony. And so sometimes when we're intimidated, well, you have science and you have, and we have science and you have faith. Well, it doesn't have to be an opposition. That all, all truth is God's truth. And, and there are many who have said, in fact, Richard Dawkins is one. He said, well, if you, if you look at the universities, those who are teaching in our finest institutions and those who are uh, employed in the scientific realm, he said only 7% of them uh, believe in God. Well, if you've ever, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but, you know, statistics don't lie, but people who use statistics often lie. It's all how you ask the questions and how that's framed and who you're, who you're talking to. But th- this is what John Lennox has said, who is a scientist. He says this, if science and God do not mix, there would be no Christian Nobel Prize winners. In fact, between 1901 and 2000, over 60% of Nobel laureates were Christians. So sometimes when you hear certain things, you need to... I don't ask Mr. Google or Dr. Google or whatever like that. Some things you people say aren't necessarily true. Uh, secondly, uh, science can't be the only way to truth. He writes this. He says, if that were true, if science really is the only thing we can put our faith in, and trust me, the faith language is used, more, used in other areas other than churches, okay? Uh, he said, if science is the only way to truth, if this were true, notes Linux, then universities would have to get rid of half their faculties from departments such as history, literature, philosophy, and language. But this is crazy. We know all these disciplines can be avenues to truth. I mean, otherwise, you know, you know, we're just fooling ourselves. Unless you're a scientist, then you have no idea what is accurate and what is not accurate. Thirdly, a science or religion can be dangerous delusions. Now, I would agree with that. You know, there are a lot of people who have strong feelings about their God. 
and dangerously so. And they're, they're deluded. But scientists are also deluded. Many atheists have argued that religion is a dangerous delusion. In reality, religious involvement correlates with individual well-being, satisfaction in life, hope, and optimism, greater self-esteem, better response to personal loss, deeper social support, and lower rates of depression. That sounds like something good for people to have. If you have the assurance that God is always with you, that everything you go through has a purpose from His perspective, and that Nothing that happens in life happens with no reason that God can use for your good. Then that's an assurance that you take wherever you go. One of the lines that Christopher Hitchens used, in fact, I I was just listening to uh, one of his debates this last week, and he said, look, you know, if you think about people believing in God, it's it's like people just haven't moved on. I mean, there was a time in my life, and I hope this is not, um, you know, spoiling the movie for you. Some people, when they were young, they believed in Santa Claus, right? Some of you are crying right now. Okay. Okay. Uh, But really, he he phrased it again. He says, uh, how many of you still believe in a tooth fairy? He says, how many actually believe in tooth fairy? You did when you were younger, but you don't do it now. John Langscoff, he said, you know, that, that is true. People used to believe when they were a child. They, they believed in Santa Claus, and they used to believe in the tooth fairy. But, but, but in, he was at this large university, and he said, he said, how many of you, um, how many of you believe as a child in God? And a number of people raised. And, and he asked, like, before that, he asked, how many of you now believe in a tooth fairy? And no raise, hand would raise. Okay, now I asked you before, some of you believed in God as a child. How many of you still believe in God? And there were hands across the auditorium that raised. And so to compare believing in God to believing in the tooth fairy or to Santa Claus is ridiculous. Because there are People closed and in their right mind still believing in God now. They they don't believe in Santa Claus. They don't believe in the tooth fairy, but they believe in God now. Why? Because there are reasons to believe. And because God has invaded their life and changed them from the inside out. They are not believing because someone put a gun to their head. They're not believing because of the pressure now that was on their family, maybe when they were young. But they are convinced that Jesus is alive, and he changes everything. And so on this day, which we celebrate that which is the foundation for our faith, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, through the communion table. The question each one of us has to ask, well, do you believe and do you believe now? Sometimes people ask me, well, what about all these people that you know, made a confession of faith when they were young and now they're, they're somewhere? Do you think they're still saying? You know, I, I don't know. But I do know this, those who believe now are saved because they're giving testimony to their faith.
And, and why do they believe? Because they believe that Jesus is believable, that it's true. And so as we partake of the, the bread and the cup this morning, it, it's really a statement of saying, I believe it's true. And so when we give you opportunity, if, if that is true for you that, you, that you really believe that Jesus did die, and he died on a cross to take the punishment you deserve and, and forgave you for all that you, the sin you've ever committed and will commit, and, and that he's given you an opportunity to put your trust and faith in him, and you've done that, then celebrate what he's done. If you haven't, then make that commitment now. But if you're not there, then don't, don't participate in this religious ritual. It means nothing to you. Because this is a statement of, this is what we believe, and we believe it's true. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we might be filled with a hope that only comes from you. A hope that is not just wishful thinking, but it's an assurance And as we celebrate the work of Jesus this morning, might we be confident that it's true. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.